Thank you, worship team. We're going to do something a little bit different uh, this morning. We're going to do what I would call a reverse offering, and ushers, if you would come forward and start to hand those out. Now, we're not returning the offering plates. It's not like you're going to get cash back this morning, but uh, we're sending around some white baskets, and you'll see as they come around to you, they have uh, those rolls of Smarties, those little candies that uh, maybe you used to get and enjoy when you were a kid, one of my favorites. Please take a roll, even if you don't particularly like candy or that candy. It's for an illustration. Um, I'm not going to say you can't eat them until we get to that point in the sermon. Uh, I know it's kind of like there was a famous university study where they brought in a bunch of children and set out some, some marshmallows ahead of them, and they said to them, if you can wait for 30 minutes before you eat that mushroom, you'll give a prize. And not many of those children lasted the full 30 minutes. You may not be able to last till we get to the point of talking about the Smarties. That's okay. That's okay. But take one as it goes around and uh, as we continue on here. Martin Luther, uh, really probably the greatest name in the Protestant Reformation, is he's talking about how we begin to follow Jesus, conversion. He, he said it this way, People go through really three conversions. First of all, the conversion of their head, what they think. Secondly, the conversion of their hearts, what they feel. And thirdly, the conversion of their wallet. And unfortunately, not all at the same time. And, and you see even a depiction of that in that cartoon of the baptism, you know, um, that, that man or woman who's under the water there really wanting to follow Jesus, but not ready to baptize their wallet. And what do I mean by our wallets when we talk about the conversion of our wallets? I, I mean our income, our, our savings, our insurance coverage, our investments, our possessions, our house, everything material that we have or that comes into us on a regular basis. And I think, I think this states a, a, a reality, what Martin Luther says here, that for many of us, as we turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we begin to follow Him, for many of us, the hardest area of our lives to give Christ control over is our wallets, what we do with what we have, our possessions, our income, our money. But here's the good news this morning. God is full of grace. God is patient with us. I love the promise of Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. If you've begun to follow Jesus, you're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. What he began in you, he's not going to abandon. He's going to continue to build it. He's going to continue to develop. He is going to bring it to completion. And so he seeks in this, this completion, this, this work of, of continuing to convert us, he seeks to convert every area of our lives, including what we do with our wallets, what we do with our money, our possessions, our income. And I want to give you this morning four scriptural images of what that conversion, what that transformation looks like in a believer's life as they are following Jesus. In other words, here are four scriptural images of the kind of transformation, the transforming work that God desires to do in me and you. And I put them on continuums there so you can see the contrast 
And I'll explain these more in detail in just a minute, but let me give you all four right now. You can see them all in uh, that one picture. God desires to convert us from being tight-fisted people to open-handed people. God desires to convert us from people who hoard to people who scatter. God desires to convert us from being people who our primary love is of money and pleasure to people who our primary love is of God. And God desires to convert us from people who trust in wealth to people who trust in Him. Let me go through those uh, one by one in just a little bit more detail. First of all, from tight-fisted to open-handed. Where do these images come from? Look at Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, up on the screen there. The Lord speaks to people who desire to follow Him, and here's what He says, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand. There's an image of being tight-fisted. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, against somebody in need, but you shall open your hand. You shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. Pastor Ed Young in in Houston helped me understand this image of tight-fisted or open-handed when he told a story about going to a football game with one of his daughters when his daughter was really young. And she, like kids tend to do, said, you know, can I get something at the concession stand? He gave her out of his wallet. He gave her a $5 bill, and she ran to the concession stand, and she came back with a bag of Skittles. And she opens the bag of Skittles and starts eating them. And Ed says to his daughter, "Uh, can I have, can we share your Skittles with me? And guess what she says? No. Oh, come on, he persists. Come on, you've got a whole bag of Skittles. Share some of those Skittles with me. And her reply is, they're mine. I want you to think about that. Here's what Ed says are three realities that his daughter didn't get. First of all, who bought the Skittles? Ed did. He's the one who gave her, who made it possible even for her to have those Skittles by giving her the money to buy those Skittles. Second reality, if he wanted to, he could take all those Skittles away from her, right? He's big enough. He has the authority. He could have taken all those Skittles away from her. And thirdly, if he wanted to, he had the resources that he could buy her so many Skittles she wouldn't be able to consume them all in a year. Think of those three realities. Now think of your Skittles and my Skittles. Our income is our Skittles. You know, what comes in uh, on a weekly or whatever basis? Our, our, our investments, our savings are our Skittles. The house, the cars that we have, our other possessions, those are all our Skittles. And as we begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, He says to us, would you share a few of those Skittles? There's somebody in need uh, who, who I would like you to take some of your Skittles, and I'd like you to share them with that person in need. Or would you take some of your Skittles and would you use them to support the work of your local church? Or would you take some of your Skittles and would you send them to support those missionaries who are spreading the gospel uh, around the world? And, And what is our natural response? Our natural response is, no, they're mine. This is my income. I earned it. This is my house. I bought it. This is my car. I bought it. We are naturally, by default, tight-fisted. And like Ed's daughter, 
we either don't understand or we forget three things. First of all, He, God, gave us our Skittles. God made it possible for us to have the income that we do, the job that we have that gives us the income. God made it possible if you have savings and investments, He enabled you to have that. God made it possible for you to have the possessions, the real estate, the vehicles that you have. They are all like Ed. They are from His wallet. He enabled you and I to have what we have. Second reality, God could take away your and my Skittles like that. Read the book of Job. What happens to Job in the first two chapters? A man who has everything, all these investments, and he loses it all in the course of one day. God can do that. That's certainly clear in Job that God was behind all that. So God could take away everything we own, all our Skittles, in an instant. And the third reality, like, like Ed pointed out, God is so great. God is, is so powerful. God, God could pour out on us so many Skittles, so much possession, so much wealth, if it fit within His will, that we'd never be able to consume it. We either don't understand or we forget those three principles when we tighten our fist over the Skittles that we have. You know, some of us have little bags of Skittles, you know, just maybe a, a very limited income. Some of us have bigger bags of Skittles. I've done my Skittle research. There's actually an eight-pound bulk bag of Skittles that you can get through Amazon. So for those of you who like Skittles like I do, some of you have eight-pound bags of Skittles when you think about your possessions But God has given us however little or many skittles that we have, however much or or little we have in the way of possessions, God has given that all to us. God could take it away all in an instant, and God could replace it or, or pour even more abundance on us. That is the reality about our possessions. That is the reality about our income. And that motivates us as we start following Jesus, to open the tight-fisted hand and say, there's somebody in need, I'm going to open my hand to that need. I'm going to share some of what I have. There's a need to support the ministry of the church. I'm going to open my hand and give that. There are missionaries who I'm learning about. I'm going to open my hand and and give from what I have to support that. Secondly, God wants to convert us as we follow Jesus from, from hoarding to scattering. Here's where that image comes from, Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than it is right, but it leads to poverty. Uh, let me take the negative one first. Withholds more than is right. What does that mean? That refers to when you or I, uh, what we have, we keep for ourselves, even if we have an abundance or we have, we're not using what we have, but we hold on to it anyway. And that's the basic definition, especially when it's taken to its extreme of hoarding. That's, uh, th- then there's the, the, the positive, the one who scatters. What's th- imagine the scatterers. I mean, maybe it helps to think of it even with the, the skittles. We, we, freely, we freely cast out one who scatters, as, as the writer of Proverbs describes them here, is someone who there is a need, I, I'm going to give freely. There, there is a, there's an ongoing need, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to do that and meet that on a regular basis. And notice the spiritual reality in this proverb. When, when we hoard, when we, when we withhold more than what is right, what, what's the, the, the proverb say? It, it impoverishes us. 
that sometimes maybe it financially impoverishes us. Almost every time it spiritually or relationally impoverishes us. It makes us colder, harder people when we hoard, when we withhold more than is right. But here's the spiritual reality of scattering. No matter how much we give out, it makes us increase. And that's not some promise that if you give a dollar, God gives you a hundred dollars back. Don't take this as a health and wealth gospel. God sometimes blesses you financially as you give. Almost every time he blesses you relationally, he blesses you spiritually as you open your hand and you give freely. You scatter rather than withholding and hoarding. So God's ongoing work of saving us means that he's transforming us from hoarding to scattering. The third image, from lovers of money and pleasure to lovers of God. Think of who we are before Jesus Christ comes into our lives. It's described by Paul, and when he's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, for people will be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now, I know that just from looking at the world around me. That's how advertising, that's why advertising exists. That's how business, the engine of business, continues to function in our society because we, we love pleasure. We love experiences that make us happy. We love money that we can use to buy the things that we think will make us happy. But I also know this reality because this is the reality of my own heart. I know this is my default setting. I believe this is your default setting as well. This is how we naturally are. But when the light of Christ begins to shine into the darkness of our lives, one of the things he does is he begins to change our affections. And I less and less love money, love experience, love pleasure, love the things that money can buy. And I more and more love the Lord Jesus Christ, love God the Father who saved me. That's the ongoing saving work that he does in our lives. Fourth, from trusting in wealth to trusting in God. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. What does it mean to trust in your riches, to trust in your wealth? It means, I think, really this. It means my confidence is based upon whether I have enough money in my checking account or whether I have enough money saved up or whether I have the right insurance coverage or whether I've got the right investments or whether I've got the right protection of, the, of all the things that I own. The problem is, even practically, the problem is, is there ever enough? Do I ever get to the place where, where I can find my comfort, my security, my peace of mind, my well-being by how much money is in my savings account? I've talked to even wealthy, wealthy people who, find, who tell me that there's never enough. There's never enough to ensure that you have ongoing, constant peace and well-being and security if that's where your confidence is, if that's where your trust is. But contrast that with Proverbs 28, 25, the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. What does it mean, especially when we think about our material possessions, to trust in the Lord? It, it means to, to believe at any given moment that whether I think I have enough to meet my immediate needs or whether I am in need, I, I know the Lord God who is over all of this loves me and is faithful 
and, and will carry me through whatever circumstances, financial, material circumstances, I'm in the midst of. And that's where my confidence is. That's where I get my peace. That's where I get my sense of well-being. And again, note the spiritual reality in this Proverbs, in this, these Proverbs. If, you're, if your trust, if your confidence is in your riches, you will fall, the, the writer of Proverbs says. In other words, no amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of investments can buy you security and peace. It can all be wiped away in an instant. And the reverse is true. If you trust in the Lord and His faithfulness, you will be enriched. Again, that's, that's not a promise of wealth and prosperity, but it is a promise of peace and well-being and, and spiritual enrichment and relational and emotional enrichment. As I think about these realities and these biblical images and this work of God in my life and your life, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's my core conviction. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes us generous people. Now, there's many other things that's true of the gospel and its work in our lives, but my core conviction is this is one of them. This is, a, this is an important one. The work of the gospel transforming us makes us generous people. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, upon whom all the gospel hinges, is the supreme example of generosity. We see this in 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I want you to think about this reality for a minute. I, I, this, I think about this. This strikes me that the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was at the Father's right hand in heaven. He enjoyed all of the glory that that position involved. He enjoyed the worship of the angels. There was no richer place in, in all of creation to be. He could have hung on to that. But because he loved you and me, because of the generosity in him, he gave that up. He laid that aside so he could come down and take on a human soul and a human body, live an impoverished life, walk a tortured road to the cross, and die a sacrificial death on the cross so that you and I might be right with God as we trust in that. I know of no greater example of generosity than, than he who would set aside all of that and impoverish himself for me and for you. And so the gospel upon which Jesus Christ, uh, that is founded upon Jesus Christ, the gospel among everything else it does for you and me as it, as it bursts into our life, it makes us generous people. When it takes root in our lives, it begins the process of transforming us into the likeness of Christ, including it makes us generous like he was. We see this, by the way, in how the Apostle Paul prays in Philemon. He's praying for a, a growing believer. So if, if Paul was here today, this is how he'd pray for you or me. This is one of the ways that he would pray for you and me as a follower of Jesus Christ. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So among the many things that the Apostle Paul prays for, for, for growing believers, is that our faith would, would produce fruit of, the fruit of generosity. 
What does that look like? How, how does this actually work out in practice? I want to give you four practices of generosity, four ways to think about the fruit of this, 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 this production of generosity that comes as the gospel transforms our lives. The first one is this, intentionally generous. The gospel transforms us into people who are more intentionally generous. I see this in 2 Corinthians 9 as the Apostle Paul's teaching, even how we think about our giving. Now, in this context, it's giving to the local church, but, but this could be any form of, of giving that, that we're involved in. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me, before I really unpack what that is, let me give you the reverse of that. I come into church, and I've given no thought to what I'm going to give till the offering plate is passed by. Or I go and I hear a missionary's presentation, and I've given no thought to, uh, to the fact that that missionary is probably going to ask me to become part of their, their financial support team. What happens when the plate is passed? What happens when that missionary asks? If I've given no thought, uh, th- then I'm caught off guard. I-, I feel guilty. If I do give anything, it's, it's out of compulsion. It's-, it's out of guilt. Now contrast that with what it means to decide in his heart, to decide in our heart. I- I'm coming to church, or I know I'm going to church. It's a Saturday, and I know I'm going to a church on Sunday, and I, I talk with my wife. How much out of our- our- what we have should we give to the church? Or I'm invited to go hear a missionary describe his or her work where they're called to. And knowing that I'm going to that, I, I, I decide on my own if I'm single or I talk with my spouse if I'm married. You know, if God moves us through this presentation, what are we going to want to give? And I go having the check written out. Or I go if I give online already setting that up. So what happens? It's a totally different experience when I have decided in my heart what I'm going to give, when I have made an intentional, prayerful decision what I'm going to give to the church or to the missionary or whatever similar type of situation it is. Then when the plate is passed or the ask is made, I give like a, notice the end of that verse, like a cheerful giver. I'm ready to do this. I'm wanting to do this. What does this look like in practice? Um, I think of Proverbs 3, 9, and, and this maybe brings it back to your smarties. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. That, that little roll of smarties that you have, that has, depending on the roll, it has like 12 to 15 individual candies in it. Now think about that representing what you have, your, your income, as you, as you hear this illustration. Pastor Kevin Harney tells of how there was a little boy in his, na- his church named Dustin. Dustin was about seven years old. Dustin came into his church one day, and, and he had a fresh roll of Smarties with him. And Pastor Kevin, knowing little Dustin, admired that and said, oh, I like Smarties too, Dustin. And Dustin unrolled the end of the Smarties roll, and he, and he pulled out one, and he, and he gave it with a big smile to Pastor Kevin. Pastor Kevin thanked him, and, and then every time for the next couple of years, every time little Dustin got a fresh roll of Smarties, he would, before he came to church, he would take the first one or two out, and he would set it aside so that on Sunday he could bring it and give it to Pastor Kevin. 
Now, why did he do that? He, he did it in one sense because he knew that, that Pastor Kevin loved Smarties, but, but do you see even that, that example of intentionality? He, he planned to do this ahead of time. He thought through, this is what I want to give. Every time I, I am blessed with a roll of Smarties, this is what I want to give because it brings joy to, to Pastor Kevin, and that became his practice. Now, now, what's going on here? Well, you know, again, when we see this as, as we think about what it means to give intentionally, to, to decide in our heart, Dustin loved his Smarties, but he made that this intentional decision. He decided in his heart that he, every time he got some, he was going to share a portion of them with his pastor. And once he made the decision, he was intentional about it. He'd set those aside and gave them every Sunday. Now, if your application of this is all to come up to me after the service and give me one or two out of your roll, you've missed the point entirely. Actually, what I would prefer you do is take your roll, whether it's still full or partial or maybe empty by the end of the service, and set it on your dresser or set it on your kitchen counter and use it as a reminder of what it means to give intentional, to give intentionally, to decide in your heart what you're going to give, to do that well ahead of time, to do that prayerfully so that you can give as a cheerful giver. Secondly, regularly generous. And this, by the way, goes hand in hand with intentional generosity. Paul, in, in teaching the Corinthians how to give, 1 Corinthians 16 teaches them, on the first day of each week, you should set aside a portion of the money you have earned. Think about those Smarties. Again, you know, sometimes you get your Smarties or your Skittles, your income on a weekly basis or maybe a couple times a month or maybe monthly or quarterly or yearly. Based upon as that income comes in, there's a way that you can regularly decide, and I'm going to set aside those first couple Smarties, that portion of the income that I've determined that I'm going to give. I can decide ahead of time on a regular basis how much of that I'm going to set aside for missions. Now, that raises the question, where do we give what we've set aside to? Um, There are many good causes to give out of our generosity to. Uh, I, I would come back to what Randy Alcorn says in his wonderful book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Giving should start with your local church. Why? That's the spiritual community where you're fed and to which you're accountable because that's your primary spiritual community. That's, that's where giving starts. That's not where giving ends, but that's where giving starts. Why? Um, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 9, there are those, he says, the Lord is commanded to preach the gospel. That's not just the guy standing up here. That's any who have a hand in, in equipping you for ministry and, and preparing you to do ministry and giving you resources to do ministry and teaching you the word. And he says, those who do that should receive their living from the gospel. So as we give to our local church, what we do is we enable those who we've called to do this on a full-time basis, we've enabled them to do that by supporting them. But we also give to our local church regularly to support the men and women that we've sent out as missionaries, both here locally and around the world, to to, uh, advance the gospel. Paul writes about this when he writes in Philippians 4, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. What he's describing there, he's he's on a mission. He is taking the gospel, planning a church in Thessalonica. 
the believers in Philippi again and again on a regular basis sent him support to aid him, to support him in his work there in Thessalonica. The third practice of generosity, spontaneously generous. Listen to Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Here's the reality. We, we, can, we can be intentionally and regularly generous. We can plan ahead to be intentionally and regularly generous. But there are always going to be needs that, that, that come through our, our circle of awareness that our planning doesn't take into account. We can't foresee every need that God will bring across our path. And we may, in the course of any day, any given day, we may unexpectedly be brought into contact with someone like James describes in James 2.15, a brother or sister who is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, someone who's in real need, someone maybe within our, our church community, someone maybe just out in the, the extended community around us. And God, as he makes us generous people, he, he not only wants to make us people who are intentionally and regularly generous, he wants to give us a spirit of spontaneous generosity in our hearts. Look at uh, Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. What is that opportunity? Sometimes that opportunity is you become aware of a need. That's the opportunity. That's an opportunity God has entrusted to you. Are you going to open your tight fist and give open-handed to meet that need and that opportunity? Sometimes opportunity is also God gives us unexpected income. We, we have resources that we didn't even plan on having. There's an opportunity where we can say, where might I use this to further God's kingdom? There was um, a, a second-grade boy at the last church that uh, I was working with. He got to know the family and, and uh, have kept in touch with them. And uh, in October, he learned of, that our house was hit and partially destroyed by Hurricane Irma. Uh, um, and uh, uh, right after, right after, thank, or right after Halloween, I, I got an envelope uh, with his handwriting on it, and and a letter that, if you could see this up close, it's a second grader's handwriting on on line paper, and and two one dollar bills in it, and and he writes this: "Dear Pastor Dan and Miss Cindy, I, I am praying for you. I hope you are well. Grandma gave me money for Halloween. I want you to have it because I am glad you are a missionary." I hope you get your house fixed soon. I hope your family is doing okay. I miss you and want to see you again. Love, Caleb. Caleb recognized an opportunity. Caleb was given an opportunity in un unanticipated income. Caleb gave spontaneously, seizing that opportunity that he had. That's an example on just a very small scale of a spontaneously generous heart. One more, one more. Sacrificially generous. God calls us to be intentionally generous, regularly generous, spontaneously generous. But there are some times where we are met with needs that, that call us to go beyond what we even think we can give. I'm glad this isn't an everyday occurrence but it can happen in a believer's life, that there is a need that we're called on to respond to. We don't know where we're going to give to support that need, and we give anyway. 
Paul describes that when he writes to the, the Corinthians. You know the, um, the uh, I don't have that verse up there that I wanted to have. Here's the description of what was happening, though, in, when he writes to, to the Corinthians. As Paul is ministering in Corinth, they are not supporting him, and yet the people in Thessalonica, another church that he has planted who had very, very little, are sending sacrificially to support him. There are those times when God puts before us a need that requires us to go beyond what is comfortable, what is safe, what is secure. What would motivate a follower of Jesus to give sacrificially? Well, it's really what I said at the beginning of of the essence of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 8. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, though he had all of that he had in glory, yet for our sake he became poor. He laid all of that aside so that we, through his poverty, might become spiritually rich. And the more we dwell on them at, the more I look at the face of Jesus, the more I ponder that he could have left me in spiritual darkness. I wasn't looking for him when I was saved. He came after me. He could have left me in darkness. He could have stayed in heaven. He left all that. He laid that all aside to go after me. And the same is true of you. And the more you and I dwell on the sacrifice that Jesus made to go after you and me, the more that makes us people who at the right time and God's timing, when a need comes before us that requires sacrificial giving, we are able to do that. The gospel makes us generous people. Just a couple of verses earlier in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul says this, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. God wants you and I to grow in many ways, in our knowledge of the Word, in our ability to love other people, in our ability to serve Him, and He also wants us to grow in this grace of giving. He wants to make us generous people. Even as we go to closing prayer this morning, I I invite you to think about those continuums that I described before to you earlier. Where are you on those continuums? Let the Holy Spirit, even now, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Where are you on on the continuum of of tight-fisted to open-handed? Where where does the Holy Spirit want to show you that you are on that? Where are you on the continuum of, of hoarding, of holding on to even more than you really need or scattering, being able to freely give? Where are you on the continuum of really being oriented out of a love, of pleasure, of money, of the experiences and possessions it can buy, or loving God? Where are you on the continuum of trusting, putting your confidence, your your sense of security and well-being and wealth and money and possessions, or putting it trusting in God? Allow the Holy Spirit speak to you, even as I close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again for this supreme example of generosity. We deserve nothing. You never needed to even send the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet you did. You allowed him, and Lord Jesus, you did this. You laid aside all the riches of your glory 
And you came and you walked that road of poverty and suffering all the way to the cross to make our salvation possible. And not only that, you promise us an eternity that, that has a wealth to it that goes far beyond anything we could imagine materially. Lord Jesus, just continue to, to make these realities dawn in our, our hearts and our lives. And among all the other ways that you are working to make us, to remake us into your image, transform us, Lord, into increasingly generous people. Lord, make us people who, who love other people even in this very practical way, meeting needs out of a love for you. We pray this, Lord, in the name of the Father who gives us all that we have. We pray this, Lord, in the name of the Son who was the supreme example of all this. And we pray this in the name of the Spirit who works in our hearts to make this possible. Amen.